Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I am your host, Randy Lee Bozlaw. Today, I have a really exciting guest to start us off. His name is Mike Ulmer, and he has written quite a few children's books and sports books, things like that. He'll explain all of that. But I am super excited to get this interview rolling. So enjoy. Right. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm thrilled that you'd have me. Yes. So I want to let everybody know, actually, how important you are to the show. Oh. Because without Mike, I would not have come up with the idea for this show. So thank you, Mike, for inspiring this whole oh series. man, I know. No, it's just I'm I'm the guy that maybe the idea got you the last one percent, but it was all there. It was just waiting for me with the right combination of words. Well, whatever you said, I don't even remember exactly what you said, but whatever it was that you said a few weeks ago, we got it. We're good. Oh, that's great. That delights me. Awesome. So tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Well, so the story is uh um a pretty long one in terms of, uh, of just a career. So uh, journalism mostly and uh, kids books, a lot of children's books and uh, 30 plus years in journalism, column writing, uh, sports mostly, books or sports and kids books. A, a book called Emma's for Maple is sort of the one that, that I wrote an alphabet book uh, about Canada, which is one of my oh. great passions. So nice. I, I a lot of people who read that book who actually now get to the point that they're reading that book to their kids because the book is... Oh. 22 years old oh wow so it's yeah so it's wonderful and uh it's been a really neat career now i help people write their books awesome yes and that's actually how we got connected from a mutual acquaintance that's and right I was talking yeah. about my books and they're like hey go mike like, all right <laughs> and it's that. worked out very well oh it's worked out great for me too so when you were younger did you always know that you were going to be a writer well kind of it was kind of the, the one sort of skill I kind of had as, as a kid, it, and the, uh, that has not really changed a whole lot. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was always, I always had an acuity with the language and, and, uh, and I enjoyed writing. And right from the beginning, I, I recognized that writing gives you a disproportionate amount of esteem or status based on really how much you know. Being a writer is yeah. great because everyone assumes you're really, really smart, which ain't necessarily so. <laughs> I but, love that in composition we used to have composition class i went to a school it was all in french and uh but i i would read my compositions and i would put characters in and people would know who the characters were and the class kind of looked forward to it it's kind of a big deal mm -hmm. and i learned right then that you can tie esteem into writing which is really fun and really you might say i've been doing that ever since because because a, a guy a guy a really good writer named Roy mcgregor who's a tremendous writer said to me once when you write your first book what's going to happen is you're going to be find yourself walking on the street and you're going to look over and there's going to be a bus there and there's going to be someone in a bus and they're going to be looking down reading something and you're going to find yourself jumping up and down to find out whether they're reading your book or not <laughs> <laughs> that's why i do at coffee know, shops they look over and yeah that's it yeah that's it and that's really really fun writing a book is really is really fun people love doing it love having done it so it's Really, really cool. So I know that you were in journalism first, but what did you write as a book first? So the first book was a book on uh, on hockey, on the captains of the Toronto, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. It's called Captains. And I was working at the Hockey News, and just a random thing. Someone called the Hockey News looking for someone who'd read a book for them. Hmm. And so 
for some reason it's me and, and that was great so i did that book and that was really cool because i got to meet a lot of really uh players and doug gilmore's on the cover who was a big star for the Leafs at the time and i got to interview a lot of really cool people and uh and then i did another book on the uh, the uh captains of the montreal canadians and that too was a great experience oh nice uh, so how did you transition from writing books about sports to writing kids books so I was just kind of asked uh, and it was one of those things where it was a little out of my comfort zone. So I said, no. And, <laughs> uh, and they said, come on, we want you this book. And I said, no. And then the, they brought me down to Michigan where at that time the publisher was. Oh, okay. The, the woman was a Canadian. She wanted a, a, an alphabet book about Canada and uh, they gave me lunch and I'm more amenable after you give me lunch. And so I said, <laughs> yeah, we all, yeah, we all, that's right. <laughs> So I said, yeah, and uh, and I'm really glad I did because that book was really fun and it was, I learned a ton of stuff. And I also learned that it's really uh, to do this playfully uh, in prose and in, in poetry. So A is for Anne, Anne with the E, redheaded girl who loved Avonlea. The Cuthbert sought there getting a boy, but that redheaded girl was their pride and their joy. So there's a real pleasure Aww. writing something in a different way. That's so, awesome. Yeah, B is for banning, B is for best, two life-saving uh, doctors, two Canadian doctors whose life-saving quest was to uh, find a new and important way to keep the effects of diabetes at bay. So just fun, just fun. Wow, and you have that memorized now, eh? Well, I've read it to many thousands of children, so yeah, that that's one of the probably cool true. things I got to do with, yeah, was go to schools and talk to kids about writing and about about uh, Canada, so it was really fun. Oh, that would be so much fun, yeah. It was. And the it kids really were probably it. so excited to get to meet the person behind the story. You know, it's fun, the best The best part of going on a school visit is when you walk in, they look and they go, you look just like my dad. And and <laughs> and, and that's, and that the answer to that is, yes, I do look like your dad. So your dad could be me. So if your dad could do it, certainly you could do it. It's and true, so, yeah. The first twenty-five percent of the benefit of, of the entire parents is walking in and letting those kids that you're somebody that they could be. Ah, uh, yes, that's, that's exciting. Really, yeah, the rest of it's great, but that that first twenty-five percent is dynamite. And then they treat you like a big deal, and they want your autograph and all that. Yeah. Oh, I love signing my books. Whenever somebody is like, "Oh, could you sign?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm so important yeah. right now." Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Then you go home. Yeah, exactly. Then I <laughs> then go, go home to my you know, average sort of house with my yeah. average life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's all right. Although I don't think my anybody who knows me would say I have an average life, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Good. All right. So let's get down to our main topic here. Yeah. Mental health. So can you tell us first off, what kind of mental health have you um struggled with in the past? Oh well see so, uh, I think that's a really great question. So my particular affliction was bipolar illness. And so um, where that's important is that as many people who have bipolar illness that encounter, uh, they, they present as people who have unipolar, who are sad. And so the problem with that is that um, they just keep giving you more air in the tower, right? Yes. And so then your behavior becomes even more outlandish and crazy and goofy. And so that's what happened to me. So I, you know, I uh, worked a long time to sort of get myself in a position. And, and then what I didn't understand was, is that all the, the things that came with that position, this, in this case being a, the sports set at the Toronto Sun, 
really exacerbated the illness because uh, you know the hours were long, time shifting, you know, really frenzied deadline, late stuff. Not really a great fit for somebody to really sort of sort of be very careful about their mental health. And as a result of that, I spent control. I got into a very well publicized incident with a guy, and uh, and uh, that resulted in a charge. It just was, was not good. And at that moment, right there, are, there are certain words that really get your attention. And and one particular phrase that when you hear it, you really should should really pay attention to what's happening in your life. And the phrase is, "How do you plead?" Oh, yeah. When you hear those words, you have to say to yourself, "Hmm." So that really, I said, but that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because. Uh, because that really sort of opened the door for me to try to figure out what was going on. And so uh, I got lots of help and, and, uh, and I've had a, oh, great, great life since then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Therapy about your bipolar or like, how have you managed it? Oh, just through the usual medication and meditation, right? The usual, the usual things they, they, you know, medicated for your protection is probably a pretty good phrase. <laughs> so I, so it's really, yeah, bipolar is, is extraordinarily common. It's obviously, you know, this kind of bipolar one and bipolar two. They're extraordinarily common. Can you common. explain that to our viewers, listeners who might not know what it is? Ah, so a bipolar, well, I, I'm not even sure I know it. It's just the two well, different to, gradations. to the best of what you know. Oh, yeah, two different gradations. And one is, I think, a lot more extreme than the other. And uh, that's probably as much as I could tell at the top of my head. And so my mind was, you know, pretty easily controlled with, with drugs. And it okay. just brought the whole scale of emotion down from here to normal. Like this is where it was to be where, but people who have really artistic temperaments and I count myself among them, they tend to be people that are really, you know, that, that are, that are uh, but maybe mood driven, you know, they feel things very intently and, uh, and they speak from their heart quickly. Yeah. And that produces, that can really produce great art, but it can also produce difficult life. Yes, very true. And, and so the, the, the conundrum that people with, who have Arctic sensibilities have always sort of grappled with is the idea that, that if I take this medication, will I lose that magic about me? Because artistic people, oh, there's, yes. there's magic about them. They have, they have abilities that other people don't have. They're often very charismatic. You know, they're just people like that when you walk in, into a room and you know they're in the room and yeah. and people love that i love having that quality it's mm -hmm. almost a superpower and they wonder if diminishing the negative effects of that superpower will also diminish the positive effects of that superpower and i can't speak for anybody else but i know for me it didn't it just made my life far manageable that was what i was going to ask so yeah excellent yes yeah. well i'm glad to hear that because that is a big worry that I've heard from other people um, that I know who have bipolar. Once you figured out that that was what was going on with you, did that affect your writing? No, not in a negative way at all. If, if anything it made, well, not, in, not negatively at all. It just made my life infinitely easier. The idea that we sacrifice for, we have to sacrifice for our art, but, and that's, I'm not, I don't really consider myself an artist. I'm more of a technician than an artist. The idea that we have to sacrifice that thing isn't, I don't, in my experience, it's not true. 
it just means that you, I think you have the full range of emotions, but you're the one who's got the, your hands on the wheel rather than the other way around. Oh, I you like know? that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's very, I think that's really great. And that's why the, the medicine is so, so valuable. Now I have to warn anyone who's watching this, it's going to take a long time to get this right. Yeah. The average length of people to get the correct diagnosis is like between this generally 10 years. Wow. Okay. Because when they present, because they, you go to the doctor when you feel lousy, right? Yes. And so when you feel brilliant and the world is falling into your, you know, and you know, you have this grand understanding of everything. But so it, what's funny about bipolar illness is the better you feel, the more careful you better be. Yes. So that's counterintuitive, right? When we're having a great day, sun shining, and we're just, man, we're just feeling it. That should be the one time that you can be uninhibited and, and not careful. Yes. And it's not like I'm pulling the reins back, but it, that's not a time you would think to go to the doctor, right? Yeah. And, and so you'd go to the doctor when you're really having difficulty getting out of bed. So, and of course, which is part of that. So, you know, you're really elated. And mm -hmm. then you're feeling really bad, very difficult and sad. And, yeah. and anyone yeah. who's had that feeling knows that it's, a, it's almost impossible to describe or quantify, but it's, and it's even harder to shake. Yeah. So you, you go to the doctor and the, the doctor gives you whatever, and, and they, they help you. That helps with, again, that ex exacerbates. So if you're in the low side of the swing. Well, yeah. my, my uh, explanation of this, and maybe it's, it's not grounded in science, only experience is that, <laughs> They're giving the air, they're filling it up, which is great. Yeah. And then you can tilt it over this way, which so you don't really feel that that low, but you got all this now when before you only had all this. Yeah. And so there's lots of room in there for uh, acting out and, and Kanye West running for president. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's a very cyclical um illness right it's the the highs and lows and the highs and lows well, there's a side coming up and it's heavily resisted in medical circles that that all our moods are are, are continual so really all you're doing is you know how you have a curl you know i have curled works? once okay so curling works in that you have red 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 mm -hmm. and you count the colors of black yes white whatever it is and so all, the, all these are so there's six reds in a block that's six points but if black is the second one then it's only two points so i think one of the theories is coming is that we're all in a continuum of move you only get in trouble when we're going red 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 black yeah. right? <laughs> and that there's really nothing that abnormal about that arrangement of moods mm -hmm. right and and that any kind of combination of those things is really okay uh, and that that depression and mental illness is are are you know are more or less just kind of the normal function of life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big pushback from the medical community on that, and you know I think it's very well. And I know somebody else who feels that that uh, bipolar illness is the root cause of almost all substance abuse. That, wow. That self medication. Uh, bipolar people are particularly brilliant. And, and and it's like they, they see the sun too well, get too close to the sun like Chris. And, yes. and that and then that causes their trouble, but actually and they, they move to self-medicate. And that 
So that bipolar is is a is a function of intelligence, and it's a great thing if you can navigate it because you, if you can keep mm -hmm. the good out of it and discard yes. the bad, then you are a pretty brilliant guy or woman. Like you. Yes, excellent. Yeah, yeah. For anybody who's listening, we're never talking from a medical standpoint. We're always talking from an ex experiential um, experience perspective. I'm not a doctor, but I do play one on television. <laughs> How old were you when you finally got the diagnosis? I would have been, let's see, 2000. Yeah, so I would have been 40. Oh, wow. So yeah, it took you a long time to finally oh, get yeah. some answers. Yeah, yeah, it did. And, and it's, it's always such a, it's been, it's such a, a fun thing because, uh, <laughs> So my, I said to my wife, I went back, I came back to my wife and I said, the, the doctor says I'm bipolar. And she, she said, no, uh, yes. <laughs> so I took that split second and go, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yep. And that's yep. the diagnosis is, is who has, uh, who has been, and whether or not it's the word is melanolis, is that the correct word or not, but that's for another day. It's always a wonderful thing because if you can hang a word on it, then it's much easier to deal with. It's this. It's, it's true. You can't hang a word on it. It's really hard. It's know? true. When my youngest finally got the diagnosis of autism, we were like, "Oh, that explains so much." Now uh, we understand it. how to deal with this whole situation. You're yeah. not just wanting to, you know, hit me. It's a meltdown. Like it's it's a very different mindset really good to be able to hang that label on it sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying you need to go get labeled, but in certain cases, it does make it so that you can understand what the heck is going on. So you are able to deal with the situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it certainly has, there's a, my daughter watches the show crazy ex-girlfriend and, and uh, what she loves. And there's, there's an episode where she gets her diagnosis and she's so happy to get her diagnosis because as you say, it's something you can kind of, hang your hat on and then move forward from. Yes, exactly. You can understand yourself a little bit better. So the next thing that I wanted to ask was, even prior to your diagnosis, since it came pretty late, right, at 40, hmm. was there any kind of stigma that you had experienced leading up to it once you got it and kind of afterwards? Like, No, no, but it, 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 it certainly changed the arc of my life in that, it was always I was always sort of moving to um, to that particular station to be have a great job at a great newspaper in sports and be a columnist, which is kind of like you know there aren't many people that reach that that mm -hmm. particular career goal, and and so once I got there, that that's when I realized that 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 uh, that I had to change my life, and so I never really was able to although I did that job for several years later. I never really had the confidence from my employer and justifiably so to like send, send me somewhere. And that's really the job. It's like being a foreign correspondent in sports, but okay. I was a foreign correspondent in sports. who couldn't travel. Oh, okay. That would make so, it hard. It did. And so I lost it. it yeah. So it lost its allure. And, and, and so I never really got hired a little while later at uh, MLSC seven years afterwards. At, and I covered the Leafs and Raptors. And they're a wonderful employer. Couldn't say enough good things about them. So it, it never really uh, adversely attacked. I never found any real stigma, but I never found any real need to, to talk about it unless I was asked. Yeah. So, yeah. Really, so. it's nobody else's business. No. no Except it's now not. it's the entire world's business. 
No, that's right. So, well, someone asked, I, I think you're doing a disservice to, to not answer the question, but I don't feel a, a great need to go out and talk about it. It's, if someone yeah. asks, I tell them. Yeah, you don't have to wear a shirt saying, I have bipolar, but yeah. you know, you're not going to lie about it. Yeah, I'd rather have a shirt that says me. <laughs> inappropriate. The word would be inappropriate. That would ah, be Yes, yes. There you go. I know when you, you talked about when you got the diagnosis, you came home, you told your wife, and yeah. she was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. How did, did that change your relationship dynamics at all or anything? No, no it really didn't. It just... I don't think it changed it in any way at all. It just perhaps gave her a bit more understanding. I'm just, I'm, I'm just extraordinarily fortunate to have to be with a, an astonishingly wonderful person, and uh, who sort of knew that it that that I was a person of you know of 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 pretty deep feeling mm -hmm. and love about me, and so and was able to put up to you know I don't know when or where the. Um, uh, I don't think your, your spouse really looks at you as, an, as, an, as a manifestation of an illness. I no. think that she looks at you for, for what she loves about you and sometimes what drives her crazy. So in that way, it doesn't change anything at all. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, sometimes for people it can. So that's awesome that it didn't really have any adverse effects. No, no, it just, it sort of made, made things, if anything, a little bit more clear to why such a a wild card, you know, <laughs> yeah. as, as people often say to her, you know, you knew when you married him. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. We, I say that to my husband all the time. I'm like, well, psh, you know, I was like this when you married me. <laughs> you knew when you married me. There's no, there was no, I was, nobody was hiding anything. You knew when, yep. I, when you married me. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. So what would you tell people who are watching right now or, or listening? Um, what would you tell them about just mental health in general? Well, yeah, so it sort of goes back to that whole, are we even using the word, the right words, mental health and mental illness and, and, and all those things, which like, yeah. as I said, is probably for another, another day. Um, yeah. So that's a big can of worms. That is a, that is really a big can of worms. I think that, that, that the truth is, is that the best that, your worst day is, is often been said, I think, with alcoholism, it should be your best day. The day that you understand really um, what's happening to you and that you can mitigate against that is really an important day. I think the second most important day is the day that you realize you won't be sacrificing who you are to take some medication. I think yes. that's really important. But I understand there's this really hesitancy, hesitancy to think that you're giving up your core to the medicines. Yes. When, when, yeah. when you're not really giving up your core at all, when you're really restoring your core to what it was. Yes, exactly. I actually, there's an entire chapter in my newest book all about that because I had to come to terms with the fact that I needed to take antidepressants and that was just something I needed to do. And actually my husband, he summed it up really nice for me to kind of get me over that whole, oh, but then I'm weak because I have to take medicine and then yeah. I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. My husband, he's type one diabetic. So yeah. he has an insulin pump. Right. And he, and he goes, and I've had to call when his pump has broken and stuff. I've actually had to call the ambulance for him, take him to the hospital and whatever. Yeah. He goes, so would you like me to just stop taking insulin? Yeah. Like, well, no, you would die. He goes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't want you to stop taking antidepressants because you will die. 
Yeah. Like, oh. Ooh, I know. That's a. Oh, why you got to sound so like knowledgeable right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, you've often heard the analogy. I think it's it's a real interesting one. And it's, I think it's very sound. It also kind of lends itself to the medicalization of mental health, which is really, yeah, really interesting. But yeah, yes. I, I endorse your husband's opinion completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and especially coming from somebody who I love, it really hit home like, oh, I can't deny that. it. This is something that has to happen. And then there was the whole getting over, like potentially people finding out. Now I go and tell the whole wide world. Oh yeah, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it not? was a coming to terms kind of moment. Yeah, no, I think it's a. I think his 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 view is really enlightened and really, and really comes from a place of love. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything else that you want everybody to know about? This is what I will leave you with, if I can. Yes. If you're really depressed, and when we talk about bipolar. If you're really depressed and people look at people who end their lives uh, and and we're very, very judgmental about that, like Robin Williams mm. and people like that. Yes. And let me preface this by saying, God, I'm not advising anyone to end their lives. But I think that people like need to understand the vicious conundrum that is depression, because yes. my belief is when you're really depressed, there's only two things, you know, there's only two absolute facts and it's this fact number one you can't do this this will never end and yeah. fact number two you can't live with this forever yeah so when you put those two facts together it leads you down that road that road mm -hmm. that the road of causation and that road of self-harm or suicide and even talking about it hopefully uh, does not inclined or prompt people to think about that i think we have to understand though the terrible terrible conundrum that really depressed people find themselves and i think if you if you really think about that that we would all think those thoughts because mm -hmm. if the only two things you know for sure is that you can't do this forever and this will never end yeah then that's going to take you to the same place no matter who or where you are yeah because they you know there's, there's a movie called they shoot horses don't they you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really powerful metaphor so i guess i would leave you with if you really want to understand depression accept that those are the only only two facts a depressed person knows to be true mm -hmm. the, the love other people have for them their place in the world how much the kids love them the achievements that they've done all those things are awash in gray and gone. Yeah. Yeah. The only two beams of light into your life are those two very interconnected messages. And yeah. that's the danger because yes. that's not true. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a, it's an, a, it's a, it's a wholly manufactured truth that's so diabolically arranged in our thinking as to make it irresistible to people. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not true. It's not true, but the depressed person thinks it's true. And that's not a, obviously that's not a devastating character or quality, mm -hmm. whether or not that is, can be mitigated successfully with, with medicine is, is a roll of the dice, whether yeah. or not that speaks to uh, any 
biological any inherent factors is is really very difficult to ascertain mm -hmm. but the depressed person only knows those two things yeah. so if you're with a depressed person understand that that's the only two things they know to be true mm -hmm. and deal with everything accordingly that would be yes. the only advice that i would give excellent yeah so definitely if and i've been there where yeah. those two things are very true. And that is yeah. why I went to the doctor and I said, I, I can't do this forever. Yeah. Because nothing is, nothing is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, if you're having those thoughts that that is the truth, then definitely go and seek help. Because the thoughts, help. the thoughts are entirely logical. Yes. Because if you don't feel any, any, and this is this cloud that never ends, seamless cloud that never ends, of course you will only assume that it never is never going to end. Yes. And you also know that you, you, you can't do this forever, that you have a, a tolerance, you're exceeding your tolerance. And all these things are absolutely logical. And I think that's really how, um, how powerful and terrible depression is because really it's, it's perfectly directed to make you and your own life yeah and we don't want anybody doing that no, no and that's the power of it and 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 so to, for the people who are suffering from that i would tell you that it's not true and i know you can't believe me but it's not true mm -hmm. and, and if you look in the heart of anyone else who loves you they will tell you that it's not true yeah. it's not true if you do not accept those two lies you're gonna be okay yeah Awesome. And that is a wonderful note to kind of end this conversation on. Uh, the last thing, though, I want is for you to tell people where it is that they can find your books or follow you, that kind of thing. Oh, so the name of my company is Catapult. At Get Catapult is the website. By the time you probably put this up, it'll be up to I'm working on it right now. I'm on Instagram at Get Catapulted. I think I'm on that. It's get, yeah, it's Get Catapulted. And uh, oh, you can find the books anywhere uh, online or really a lot of them are still in bookstores across the country, which is kind of cool. That is kind of so, cool. Yeah hopefully, yeah. hopefully one day mine will be in there. I hope so too. <laughs> and if you're walking down the street in Dundas, just you'll probably see me walking. I got a big brown dog. Oh, what, what's the doggy's name? Doggy's name is Winifred. She's a big, beautiful German shepherd. Oh, I love doggies. All right. So thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. I really appreciate your honesty and your openness. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. I hope everybody enjoyed getting to meet Mike and hearing a little bit about his story. If you enjoyed it, please hit that like and subscribe button, the follow button, whatever button is there, depending on how you are listening right now, um, and share this. Because remember, the only way that we are going to end the stigma with mental health is to speak openly and honestly and share about it. Bye.